Welcome to Happiness 2.02 podcast. I'm your host, John Tuckums, founder, author, World Government Summit participant, and Forbes featured TEDx speaker, an inquisitive human who loves root knowledge. Happiness 2.02 is a mental health show for entrepreneurs that provides the full human cognition and the full breathing oxygen tools to rapidly shift states of mind and increase energy. Podcast guests include organization founders, world-renowned executives, MDs, PhDs, and remarkable leaders who have incredible stories and are helping billions of people to find their happiness oxygen. You're listening to Happiness 2.02. This is your host, John Tuckums. You're listening to episode seven with Jim Estel. Jim is a keynote speaker, author, was the founder of a company that was sold for $2 billion and is the current CEO of Danby and Shipper B. While you're listening to this podcast, if anything stands out to you as thought-provoking or remarkable, take a screenshot and write down what you've heard from Jim. Post the insight on social media, text the idea to a friend, or email what you've learned to a family member. Get this information out there. Without further ado, Episode 7 of Happiness 2.02 Podcast with Jim Estel. Jim, time is a finite resource. Underline everything that you do across your life, your leadership, your books, your speaking engagements. Why do you do what you do? Ultimately, what drives you at your core? Well, my purpose in life is to help as many people as possible achieve their greatest potential. And so doing things like this podcast or speaking event is a way that I can get leverage on what I do so I can basically make a little bit more change than I could do if I was just doing it myself. Yeah, in, in terms of, uh, you know, the greatest number of people, uh, when you look back uh, across your life, uh, early on in your life, when did you first have this, this kind of feeling inside you that uh, you really wanted to help as many people as possible? Was it part of, you know, perhaps uh, your high school or, um, you know, a person that you met that really inspired you to, uh, because a lot of people don't have that focus or have that awareness. Uh, can you share with the audience just a little bit how you've, you've come to kind of formalize your, your purpose in life? Well, I think most children and young adults are highly altruistic. And I was highly altruistic when I was in my teens and uh, my early career. And then what happened is I, I got somewhat defocused from that and was focused primarily on trying to build my business. And so that took me off the rails for a while. Um, and then I sold my business and I retired and and uh, so I did what everyone was supposed to do. They, they start a business, grow it. I grew it to a couple billion in sales. And uh, but then when I retired, I found that was sort of hollow. And I got back to my roots and basically uh, learned more about myself and uh, determined what my pur- true purpose was. And that's uh, ever since I've acted within my values, my stress level is way down. And I'm just a way happier person. Fantastic. And who are some of the people, if you don't mind sharing, that uh, were instrumental in terms of your values? It sounds like it's something so core that you've had this experience of this remarkable journey in terms of building a business and really coming back to your roots. Uh, coming back to those core values, who are some of the people in your life, um, if you can share with the audience, uh, that uh, really you know, kind of uh, helped shape those, those core values? Well, two people I really respected were uh, Mother Teresa and Gandhi. But of course, I didn't meet them. But reading about them, and um, of course, the problem we all have is we have an image of what people are outside from the outside. We don't know the true inside uh, out. I've read more about Gandhi, and his life wasn't as uh, good or altruistic as it seemed sound from the outside. So those were two people that had a big impact, and I guess, of course, my parents always uh, had a huge impact as well. 
Fantastic. And in terms of, uh, you know, this journey, uh, you know, as you're building a business, you know, it's not uh, as kind of that straight slope up, you know, there's lots of, uh, uh, ups and downs. Um, even earlier on in your life, uh, did you experience uh, adversity that helped you kind of prepare you for that that business journey? Um, you know, maybe it was uh, you know, in high school, you're kind of your earliest tastes of entrepreneurship that uh, uh, you really saw adversity and you figured out a way to persevere through it. If you could share some kind of stories that is uh, related to that, uh, the earliest kind of uh, seeds for becoming an entrepreneur. Sure. I mean, I'm a big believer in adversity. And I think that adversity builds stronger character. Um, and so uh, basically growing up, um, we had to work and do our chores and, um, and contribute. And at the time I thought, oh, aren't I hard done by? I have to do more than my, uh, my friends and neighbors. But as it turned out, that was uh, – it built my character. It built my, uh, my work ethic. Um, as far as the entrepreneurship goes – uh, that started at a very, very young age. We, we grew produce in our garden and I'd go door to door and sell it. Um, but when I was in high school, I had my first reasonably successful business painting houses. So I, uh, um, my dad asked me to help paint the house. And so I helped paint the house and someone came up to me and said, Oh, would you paint my house? And next thing you know, I was, uh, um, painting houses and I hired all my friends and, um, other people in my class and, uh, we painted um, dozens, if not over, well over a hundred houses in Woodstock, Ontario, where I was growing up. Uh, in terms of that, uh, those experiences, it sounds that, uh, you know, reading was a part of, uh, um, you know, really helping to, you know, ground you per, per se, or really to open awareness to as well. Uh, what are some of the activities that, uh, you find now you've, uh, you've had time to retire, really get back to your roots uh, that really helped you get back to kind of those heightened states, those flow states in your life that uh, you really, really feel centered and you feel you know, at peace. Uh, it might be walks. It might be uh, certain activities that you incorporate, uh, you know, that gets you to, you know, kind of those, those energetic states that uh, you just feel like you're in the right spot, the right place. Um, you know, some, some people call it, uh, you know, flow states or pinnacle states. Sure. Well, I, I would actually almost, uh, make that into two different points for me flow is when challenge just about meets your ability so you can barely do it you can almost do it and you have to work real hard to to succeed that creates flow and that creates massive satisfaction where if i'm just doing something that's uh you know reading spam emails delete 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 and you know there's no flow in that there's flow in in accomplishment However, in order to have the energy to do those flow activities, which because they do take a lot of energy, I need to know how to recharge. And so that for me includes, um, I'm very much a health person, so exercise. I find very hard exercise, aerobic exercise is one way to do it. And I also find meditation and sitting is another way. So two opposite ends of the spectrum also on the, uh, the recharge. And early on, you said uh, time is one of the most important assets. I believe in what I call the power of while. So I have been known for a long time to do walking meetings. So uh, that's how I would keep in touch with my staff is regular walking meetings. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. And I loved how you described that 
you know, finding activities that you can barely do. You're not even sure if you can do it perhaps on some of the activities uh, going into it, but it's really challenging to, to, to find that extra, uh, extra level of concentration, creativity, uh, and, uh, and then finding ways to kind of boost the energy so you can actually actively pursue those activities where you can barely do it or you don't know on the way in. So it's absolutely amazing. And for yourself, in those states, uh, whether it's through walking meetings or it's you know that that, ex, you know, that activity that you're doing, uh, how do you find that uh, your your breathing changes uh, or other aspects uh, as you're in those states? Sometimes it's hard to put into words these, these kind of amazing states. But how does can you describe what that feels like to you uh, to the audience when you're in those states? Sure, um, it, it's interesting you mentioned breathing. Breathing is for me the easiest way to center myself. And when I find that I'm not as energetic as I need to be, not as focused as I need to be, or not accomplishing what I need to be, I often find it's because I'm not breathing properly, not breathing deeply. So I remind myself, and it literally takes two deep breaths, three deep breaths, and that brings me back and and gives me um, energy again. And I think that could be one reason why uh, aerobic exercise is so uh, regenerating, because, of course, you're breathing hard for... uh, half an hour or 45 minutes, however long you're doing the uh, aggressive aerobic exercise for. Absolutely amazing. Uh, thank you for sharing. Um, and as we talk about uh, kind of shift gears into more, um, you know, how you maintain happiness and well-being across your, your personal life, uh, your life has its ups and downs. And I think you've touched upon a couple of them. You talk about walking, exercise. Uh, there are any, things that, any other things that you do, uh, kind of the small things that you do kind of to start off your day, uh, whether it's have a cup of coffee or to kind of finish off your day uh, that you can share with the, the audience? Sure. I, I, think the, uh, I think I discovered the secret to happiness from uh, my Syrian project where I sponsored um, a few hundred Syrian refugees to come to Canada. And what I learned, the secret to happiness is being grateful for what you have, not ungrateful for what you've lost and not ungrateful for what other people have. And so gratitude for me is the root and the key to happiness. So the simplest exercise is to have a gratitude journal and every morning just write a few lines in my gratitude journal, the things I'm grateful for. And I will tell you anything that is causing problems pales by comparison to what I can be grateful for. So, you know, we have a pandemic. Oh no, I can't go to a restaurant. Isn't that terrible? Woe is me. But I sleep in a warm house and I have food and uh, I've got friends and family and there's so much I can be grateful for. Yep, that's absolutely amazing. And so it sounds like that's an important way that uh, you, know, you start off your day and just really to uh, almost to set intention and to set, uh, you know, you know, just you know, we have this gorgeous opportunity of life and experiencing it to its fullest. How about as you, as you finish off your days, is there any particular things that you do around the end of your day that kind of helps uh, you know, get into that great sleep state or, you know, that recharge state? Uh, one thing I do is I plan my next day and even make a few notes around it. And the reason I do that is I basically just to get it off my mind. Otherwise, what happens is I lie down. I say, oh, darn it, I should call George tomorrow. Oh, I should um, talk to John. I should do uh, whatever. So it gets it off of my plate. Uh, the other thing I um, do is no electronics for at least an hour before I go to bed, which means um, I don't actually even own a television, but it means no computer for me, no phone. And uh, I like to read a little bit. Um, 
before I go to bed. And uh, yeah, it's absolutely amazing uh, to you know have a hard stop. Uh, is it by a certain hour? If you don't mind me asking, just a little bit, a little bit further, or is it uh, uh, just generally about an hour beforehand that uh, that uh, you basically make sure well, there's you want no electronics on? I, I usually plan what time I'm going to go to bed. It's not exactly the same time every night. Depends on what how early I'm starting the next day, or uh, uh, if I felt I need more sleep. So it's not, but I do plan in advance what time I'm going to go to bed. That's another trick because uh-huh. I find if I don't plan in advance, it's so easy for me just to get um, idly doing emails or logging into my system, checking some numbers and doing some customer service stuff and that, that type of stuff because those types of things for me are endless. I, I have an endless number of emails I, and I can, I can log into our customer service queues at uh, Dandy and I can see all those. And of course, when you sell 2 million appliances a year, you're, you're, those also can be endless. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely amazing. Uh, you, you talked a little bit about the, the Syrian project. Could you share uh, just a little bit about um, you know, kind of the origins around that? Uh, you know, a lot of people hear about stuff that's going on in, in other parts of the world, and they don't take action. And you know, they want to do something, and um, you know, they might uh, you know, put a post on Facebook or LinkedIn uh, social media. Uh, can you share with us uh, just how um, you know you came to really make a decision to to take action? Uh, I'd love to hear more about that, and as also as it ties into happiness, because I imagine there's a tremendous amount of happiness that uh, you know the people that uh, you know that you know that you got over to Canada uh, experienced. Sure. Um, at the time I sponsored Syrians, there was a massive civil war and of a country a little bit smaller than Canada. Five million people had fled the country. Um, life was horrific for the uh, the Syrian refugees. Um, the other countries surrounding Syria took those refugees, but they didn't really have the capacity to handle them, and the living conditions were horrendous. And one trait of an entrepreneur is we want to get things done. So I am reading the news. Another trait I personally have is I may be actually over-empathetic, so I, I have feelings for these people. Oh, how bad is, you know, how... And so what I do is do what a good entrepreneur does. This is what can I do? Canada has a private sponsorship program. I figured out that I could sponsor families. And originally I said I was going to sponsor 50 refugee families. Um, I did that and became sort of the poster child of refugee. So uh, next thing you know, I set up a, a, you know, we're continuously sponsoring. Although right now the pandemic, uh, everything's on hold. But um, we've uh, sponsored well over 100 uh, refugee families, and it's an ongoing thing. I, I guess I'll also say that that got me close to flow in a lot of things because I had a I had a business, damn it, appliances to run, which is not a huge business, not a tiny business. I had another business, Shipper B, to run, and uh, then I have another third full time job, which is settling refugees. Because if you do the the math, you bring in fifty families and have to get fifty bus passes and ride the bus with them fifty times, pick them up from the airport, set up fifty bank accounts and uh, register their kids for school and you, you do the math. You, you just simply cannot do it. You don't have enough hours in the day. So I needed the leverage of volunteers and I ended up ultimately with eight hundred volunteers. Wow. Amazing. Orchestrate for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely amazing. I imagine that, uh, yeah, as you talked about, that's almost like a, an entirely never, another job. And uh, on top of that, you, as you mentioned kind of earlier, is that uh, don't even know if you can do it because where are you going to find this extra time to, uh, to you know, really support what you've committed to and, and, and help uh, you know, to make sure that uh, every, you know, everybody is coming to Canada, they're successful. Um, can you share just some, maybe one of the stories of one of the, one of the, the lives or the individuals that you touched? Because imagine that not only is it the front end in terms of uh, people coming to Canada, you're staying in touch with them, saying, hey, how are you doing? Checking in with them. Can you share any, any stories that, uh, you know, with the audience that, uh, the kind of stories that you know, makes your, your skin tingle because it's just so beautiful uh, related to, um, you know, one of their experiences coming to Canada? Sure. So we actually don't have enough hours to share all of the um, stories. I remember one guy showing me pictures of his house on his phone. And I said, oh, that's a nice house I could live in. Oh, what's that uh, Mercedes in the driveway? Well, that's my, that's my car. And then you see the pictures of it bombed out. It's very impactful because basically he was living in a house similar to my house and uh, living what I would call a normal middle-class lifestyle and how much did you come to Canada with? Well, I have this suitcase. Yes, I have two changes of clothes. Do you know where I get another pair of socks? Wow. Like it, it's uh, just, um, and people who came here had lost literally everything. One of the guys had run his life pretty well. He was a, a school teacher and he bought uh, apartments. He had a few apartment buildings, like smallish, you know, uh, nine unit units, but that was his retirement. And guess what happened? He now has no retirement because he lost all of his uh, money and wealth and had to come to Canada and in his 60s um, reinvent to figure out how he could make a living and support himself. Yeah, and absolutely unbelievable. Uh, you know, a person's life, you know, they basically plan the rest of their you know, the retirement, you know, their, the latter years in life and literally having to start over again. And not only is it, You've reached a certain level of success in your, your former country. Now you have to find new energy, new courage inside you to, uh, you know, to start over again. And it's like the most fundamental things that you talked about, like socks. Yeah, un unbelievable. Um, and how about uh, the, the, you know, children, you know, that uh, are part of these families or kind of relatives? Well, well, the interesting thing is the children adjust well and have yeah. absolutely no problem. If you take any child who's under 15, they learn English in less than a year. They learn yep. better than their parents do. Um, they've actually, the younger kids will speak with uh, no, no accent. They'll be completely integrated. And kids are kids, you know, put them out on a playground. They all play with each other. And the kids in Canada were all, you know, given socialized, you know, they were all told about the refugees and everything. So they welcome them. Um, as far as the lost generation was the 17 year old, 18, 19 year olds, mm. because the problem with them is they maybe hadn't been in school for five years and it's the time when they should be graduating and going to college, but they hadn't been to school for five years and they don't speak English. And by that time, some of the people in the schools are a little too cool to want to associate with, uh, uh, with them. And so they're, it's, it's a more difficult time for them because they don't have the same opportunities. A 12 year old will graduate from uh, Canadian high school, can go to university just like you or I can choose their career and, and do their whole life. If you're 19 years old, and you didn't finish high school, uh, got a long, a long road. Yeah. Uh, 
parents, the older ones, the parents, they are mostly just doing it for their children. So parents, they will be humble, swallow their pride. And although they were a um, doctor in Syria, they will proudly be a medic because that provides food for their table and uh, allows their children to have a better life. Absolutely amazing. And I imagine, too, there's just the piece of, you know, you talk about that 17-year-old where, you know, there's adjustment, you know, there's trauma from past exposure. And so not only is the, the language on top of that, you know, there's trauma that they've been exposed to. And now it's an adjustment, you know, to different culture, you know, different language, and then any baggage that they're, they're carrying with them, I'm not talking the physical, but just in terms of emotional from what they've had exposure to, uh, is, you know, and for them, and then for you to take on that responsibility, is absolutely remarkable uh, to help guide them through the system to ensure they have, you know, the best possible outcome uh, is absolutely amazing. So uh, is there any other kind of thoughts you just want to share uh, just in terms of that journey, you know, perhaps with other entrepreneurs? And I think the one question that you talked about earlier is, you know, you know, what can I do? Uh, do you want to share anything around that related to other entrepreneurs that, you know, when an entrepreneur has that opportunity to ask the question, not everybody asks the question, you know, when they should think about it. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I think all entrepreneurs um, have the ability to structure and build and grow and lead. And so therefore when there's times of crisis, they can do that. So the current uh, crisis was the, uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And on that one, again, I have this great feeling. So I see people dying in gurneys in the hospitals in Italy, and it's because they don't have enough respirators. So we did a little pivot to assembling respirators and uh, uh, ventilators at Danby. Um, has a, it's a double win because it, it employs people, but it also was providing a medical device that we need. So that's another micro entrepreneurial pivot because mm. um ventilators are certainly not wine coolers which is what we normally um assemble and i the other thing i don't want to take full credit for that uh we started we were designing a ventilator so we'll do it from scratch our own engineers will do it and we got into it said whoa this is too complicated for us so we ended up partnering with uh, other companies to uh, make that happen and largely what we do is provide the labor to do the assembly Yep, for sure. And so and it's, it's really just, uh, you know, you know, seeing something that's going on and you talked about that empathizing too as well, you know, what can we do? Uh, and then as an entrepreneur too, as well, just ad- adapting to, to the current environment. Um, do you want to share more about, uh, you know, just that, um, you know, just as, you know, as you have team members, you're now saying, Hey, we're going to be working on ventilators. Imagine that uh, that's a whole process in its own right you know, as people are shifting gears and kind of how you kind of communicated that to, uh, you know, to your organization because uh, that's, that's a tremendous shift. And that's like we've been focused on shipping. We've been focused on uh, you know, building appliances at tremendous scale. And now you're introducing an entirely kind of new workflow uh, to, to your organization. Uh, can you share with uh, entrepreneurs how you, you made that, uh, that micro uh, you know, micro pivot and, uh, you know, now you have to communicate it to with your organization. Sure. Well, in times of crisis, um, we need leaders and people follow leaders more willingly in crisis than they do in peacetime. So yes. everyone knew there was a crisis and 
basically everyone's worried, oh no, I'm going to lose my job. I'm Our company is not going to survive. So when I announced we were going to do that, it was very positive to receive because people say, oh yeah, I understand there's a need for this. Um, because quite frankly, when uh, COVID started, um, sales for wine coolers dropped because that's an optional per- per- purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it turns out, uh, demand for freezers, can't make enough freezers, went through the roof because everyone starts uh, saving. But that, that also involved uh, you know, gearing up different sections of, of the company. But people generally were very, very uh, um, excited. We're in peacetime. I know they would have given me a harder time. They would have said, Jim, focus, focus, focus. This isn't focused enough. You need to get back to your knitting. But uh, now they said, oh, this is great. This uh, employs people and uh, covers some overhead. It's all good. Yeah, and, and, and then it's you know then it becomes part of uh, you know the culture. Well, I guess it is already part of the culture that uh, the organization, but it's now it's a, kind of just a, a shift in terms of you know micro shift in terms of direction. I want to come back to something that was really uh, fundamental related to our conversation today. Is that really you talked about as that child that you know altruism, and you had this experience with this remarkable uh, you know growth in terms of one of your you know, earlier businesses. As I understand that you exited. Uh, roughly $2 billion, which is just a massive number. And then you had this experience of uh, retiring and, and really coming back to uh, coming back to core. Can you share with entrepreneurs like how they could somehow have that experience earlier on in that life? Because, you know, a lot of us, they don't, we don't take time out for ourselves to really to come back to our core or find that altruism that, you know, we get caught up in the daily tasks of life and, and, uh, you know, that experience sounds like it was so fundamental in terms of how it shaped all your, your decisions coming out of retirement. You didn't have to come out of re- uh, retirement, uh, but I'd love to hear uh, just, you know, how entrepreneurs can simulate or get that experience, uh, whether it's taking some time off work or whatever, so that they can come back to their core values. So uh, largely it has to do with knowing what your core values are and not mm-hmm. losing that. And if you go online, there's gazillions of exercises on how to figure out what your values are. And stress is caused by doing things that are not within your values. Um, and once you work on your values and once you understand more what your purpose is, and I would say that most purpose, most people's purpose does have some degree of altruism in it mm-hmm. um, and some degree of helping and helping others. Um, best cure for depression is to help other people. But the best cure for depression is to give someone something, to donate money, to donate time. Um, and uh, it, it, it's also actually, and, and it also helps happiness. So um, mm, yep. you don't do it just to be happy, you, but it, it is a side effect. It's a benefit that you get from uh, from doing that for sure. Yeah. So it's really finding those those opportunities, whether it's even a, a small amount of time to begin with that, uh, you know, because you know, life you know, has its ups and downs. It's, it's like a heartbeat. And, uh, uh, you know, that the the, you know, you're not going after the end result to start with. You're helping people out. But it's uh, the, the benefit behind the scenes, as you talked about, um, you know, is that side effect is happiness. Um, just coming back to, could you just repeat, uh, you know, your, 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 your happiness with uh, the audience you talked about, it's really about, uh, you know, you have a formula in terms of how you've broken it down. I'd love to. Sure. So, to get yeah. So happiness is uh, about gratitude. So it's being grateful for what you have, not ungrateful for what you've lost or ungrateful for what other people have. 
And the reason you have those three pieces is, and I find once you have a grat- an attitude of gratitude, you will naturally give back. You will naturally be more mm-hmm. uh, altruistic. You will naturally um, enjoy the wonder of the of the world. Like now, I'm um, I'm grateful, and when we have uh, something special, I say, "Wow, isn't it so awesome that we can afford to uh, eat this dinner? Isn't it so great that I can?" afford to do this or see this or um, experience this. Um, and it adds to the awe of the experience. It adds to the, uh, it adds to the experience. Um, and, and it doesn't even have to be going to see the Grand Canyon. It can simply be um, walking in the woods near where you live and say, well, isn't this uh, gorgeous? And aren't I, you know, in a, in a great space as far as not being grateful for what you've ungrateful for what you've lost we all have had lots of losses we it could be death of a family it can be um you know business there's lots of losses but what i saw in the syrians those people who were not ungrateful for what they lost and they'd lost everything um they were happy and the other part of it is not being envious of other people because that becomes a, a treadmill oh i want a better house than my neighbor a better car than my neighbor and uh, I, I want uh, it, it, being ungrateful for what other people have uh, and this comparative uh, thing tends to make us um, less happy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing. I just, uh, you know, that, you know, the ways to think about happiness is it's absolutely remarkable. And to incorporate it as part of your, you know, your daily practice as you're starting your day, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, it's, it's a wonderful, absolutely beautiful way to, to live life. Uh, Jim, where can people find you, find out more about you? Uh, I know that you have a tremendous number of initiatives. Uh, where can people find you? Sure. Well, Google Jim Estel, you'll see tons of stuff on me. That's the simplest. I do have a blog at jimestel.com. Uh, Danby Appliances is www.danby.com and Shipperby is www.shipperby.com. And I am very active on LinkedIn, um, less so on Twitter, but uh, absolutely you can connect on LinkedIn. Absolutely amazing. And as part of, uh, you know, kind of final words for the audience, you've come through this uh, you know, remarkable journey where, you know, you could have finished off your career, you know, at, uh, after you know, sold, selling an early business, uh, you really come back to your core values, kind of uh, come back to your core purpose. Uh, do you have any parting words for, for the audience in terms of happiness or you know, stuff that they, you know, you know, that, uh, you know, you wish more people could do to do incorporate? And I think, you know, gratitude is a big piece of it. But uh, if you could share kind of so, your fi- final words. Sure. So your audience is entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. the Final words are fail often, fail fast, fail cheap, and having a failure does not make you a failure because sometimes we dwell on our failures and think that that's a problem. People who have more failures have more wins. So it's like uh, step up to bat, take a swing, rather than don't take a swing. You're never going to hit a ball if you never take a swing. So uh, don't let any failures hold you back or or were you. Celebrate them. It's good mm-hmm. you tried. Uh, Jim, thank you for your leadership, your books, your speaking engagements, and all the happiness oxygen you bring to the world. And a tremendous thank you to all the listeners. As always, this has been your host, John Tuckums. 
you have made it to the end of the podcast, it's your host, John Tuckums. I want to take this moment to sincerely thank you. I'm incredibly grateful for the time you're taking to invest in your life. And if you gain something valuable from this episode and want to give me value somehow, I would tremendously appreciate if you went to Apple Podcasts, iTunes. If you have an Apple product where you listen to this podcast and leave this show a review, you are free to send me a message or email. Contact information is in the description below. Thank you again for listening and thank you for your contributions in helping billions of people to find their happiness oxygen.